Please stand together with me out of honor to God and his word as I read. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Thank you. you may be seated. So we are looking today at how Jesus, this child's son, is not only Wonderful Counselor, but that he is Mighty God. Now speaking of this passage here, Isaiah 9, 6, there was an elderly preacher who lived way out in the boondocks of West Virginia. He didn't have a phone, he didn't have a computer, but he wanted to advertise the true meaning of Christmas to those who passed by his church on the highway. So he went down to the general store to have them send an email to the sign company. Well, since the general store charged per word for emails, the preacher kept his message short and to the point. Imagine the sign maker's shock when he read the email. Unto us a child is born, six feet long and three feet wide. Let's look at mighty God. First of all, how can any baby, how can any child be the mighty God of the Bible? Again, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. How can any baby or child be the mighty God of the Bible? Well, the answer to that is that God took upon himself human nature to live among us. That's what he did. He became a human. And in order to do that, God severely limited himself to live among us. In fact, we read about that like in Mark chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. There were certain things Jesus could not do. He had limited himself. There were certain things he couldn't do. And not only that, according to Mark 13, verses 30, uh, 31 and 32, there were certain things he didn't know. For instance, when his disciples asked him, when are you coming back? Jesus said, I don't know. I don't know. So there are certain things he couldn't do. There were certain things he didn't know. That's because God severely limited himself to live among us as one of us. Indeed, God humbled himself to live among us. Paul picks up on that idea here in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 6. So speaking of Jesus, says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So think about what Jesus did. He left the glories of heaven. He was born in a stable in Bethlehem. He was not born in a palace somewhere like we might expect. Not only did he leave the glories of heaven to be born in a stable in Bethlehem, he was born to a working class family. Joseph was a carpenter. Not, he wasn't born to the elite. Again, we might expect that, that the king of kings would be born into an elite family. Not only that, he grew up to be rejected by the very ones whom he came to save. And he was crucified by one of those most cruel means of torture ever devised. And so God really humbled himself to live among us. But when you think about it, God in the person of Jesus Christ took the ultimate test drive. He took the ultimate test drive to experience our predicament firsthand. The writer of Hebrews picks up on that in Hebrews 4.15 where he says, For we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. He took the ultimate test drive. You see, God knows everything intellectually, academically. God knows everything. But God also knows the human condition experientially because he became one of us. He lived on this same earth that we live on. He experienced the same things we experience. And so he not only knows everything intellectually, he knows the human condition experientially. And so he took the ultimate test drive 
to experience our predicament firsthand and to save us. Only a man could die for man's sin. Only God would be worthy. And only God's sacrifice would be eternal. For you see, our sin has offended the eternal one. And so only an eternal sacrifice can appease him. So in the man Jesus Christ, who is also God, we see man to pay for man's sin. We see God who is worthy. And we see the eternal one who can appease the Father. So, how can any baby or child be the mighty God of the Bible? He had to severely limit himself to become one of us. But secondly, I want to ask, can Jesus be the mighty God of the Old Testament? Can he really be the one who is the mighty God of the Old Testament? Or is maybe Isaiah talking about somebody else here? Can Jesus really be the mighty God of the Old Testament? Well, we know that the God of the Old Testament was the creator. One of the first verses we ever learn is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Uh, we know that. So the God of the Old Testament was the creator. Well, what does the Bible say about Jesus in the New Testament? In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, speaking of Jesus, says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And so the God of the Bible was creator. Jesus, who is God in the New Testament, creator. Well, what about this? The God of the Old Testament thundered forth harsh words on his enemies. Now, God did this through his prophets. He spoke through his prophets. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that in Hebrews 1.1, says that in times past, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by his son. So God would thunder forth harsh words on his enemies through the prophets. Well, what about Jesus? Did he do any of that? Listen to what Jesus said to the religious leaders in Matthew 23, verses 13 to 29. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you're fools and blind. That was Jesus. What about what Jesus said to the public at large? In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34, he said, You're fools and you're blind. What did Jesus say to the wealthy in Luke chapter 6, verses 24 to 25? Woe unto you who are rich. And so the God of the Old Testament thundered forth harsh words on his enemies. Jesus did the same thing. Well, the God of the Old Testament was a fighter and a victor in battle. The psalmist writes about that in Psalm 24, 8. He says, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. But what about Jesus? Well, Jesus has fought and won the most decisive battle in history. Jesus defeated Satan, death, and hell. And we know that Jesus' victory came through both the crucifixion and the resurrection of him from the dead. And as I've been talking about for the past two weeks, and I'm not going to go over it again, but Jesus will have his day in military battle. This is in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, talking about the battle of Armageddon. Jesus will have his day in military battle. And at that battle, he will be absolutely victorious. He will conquer his enemies, as we've looked at in the past two weeks. The beast, the antichrist, the false prophet are destroyed. The armies of the earth are decimated. Satan is imprisoned for 1,000 years. That's in Revelation 20, the first three verses there. And Jesus rules and reigns on this earth for that same 1,000 years. So can Jesus be the mighty God of the Old Testament? Well, I thought God was creator. Jesus is creator. I thought God thundered forth... Uh, harsh words on his enemies. Jesus did that. Well, I thought God was a fighter and victor in battle. Jesus is that. My friends, Jesus is God. He is God, but he is not God the Father, nor is he God the Holy Spirit. He is God, but he is not God the Father, and he's not God the Holy Spirit. 
He is co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent with those other two. They all three dwell in perfect agreement. They all three enjoy perfect harmony, and they work together as what we call the Trinity. Now, you might say, I don't see the word Trinity anywhere in my Bible. You're right. It's not in there. But they work together as a Trinity, one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see them working together, for instance, at creation. At creation. Back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 and verse 2, we see God the Father. We see God the Spirit as the Spirit hovered over the waters, it says there in verse 2. And then I already showed you in Colossians where Jesus is actually the creator. So we have a Father, Son, Holy Spirit at creation. What about the Annunciation where the angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, listen, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have a baby. And notice as I read this from Luke chapter 1 and verse 35, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says, The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you. The power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. There we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at creation, at the Annunciation, at the Inauguration. When Jesus was inaugurated into his ministry, he was baptized. You remember John the Baptist baptized him in the Jordan River. Do you remember what happened? You have the Son of God there being baptized. You have the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And you have the voice of the Father from heaven saying, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. At creation, at the Annunciation, at the Inauguration, and by the way, at our salvation. If you are saved here today, I want you to know the Trinity was involved in your salvation. It was the Father's plan, the Son paid, and the Spirit pulls you into a relationship. Let me say that again. The Father planned it, the Son paid for it, and the Spirit pulled you into your salvation. Jesus is God. He's not God the Father. He's not God the Holy Spirit. He's God the Son. In all three of these, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three share the same divine essence. What is God made out of? I don't know. But whatever it is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all share that same divine essence. So how can any child be the mighty God of the Bible? How can any son uh, be the mighty God of the Bible? Well, God had to limit himself severely to live as one of us. Can Jesus really be the God of the Old Testament? Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus is God. But let me ask the question again a different way. Was Jesus really God? How do we know? How do we know Jesus was really God? Well, first of all, let's look at his ways, the things that Jesus did. Let's look at his ways. Jesus forgave sins. Now, clearly, only God can do this because every sin that we've committed it might have been against some other person but ultimately it's against God and Jesus forgave sins one guy one time he was he was lame on his feet and Jesus said your sins are forgiven and everybody started complaining they said only God can do that Jesus said that's right only God can do this too and he told the man who's lame get up and walk he forgave sins only God can do that Jesus received worship People all through the scriptures bow down and worship Jesus. Now, only God is worthy of worship. Worship of anyone or anything else is idolatry. And yet Jesus gladly accepted people's worship. So when we look at his ways, he certainly acted like God. He forgave sins. He received worship. He performed many mighty acts or miracles that only God can do, which included healing the sick, feeding the hungry, resurrecting the dead, calming the storm, and even walking on water. Only God can do these things. And so when we look at Jesus' ways and we ask, was he really God? We could look at his ways and see he certainly acted like God. 
But let's look secondly at his words. Not only his ways, but his words. In John 8, 58, Jesus is having a discussion with some of the Jewish leaders. And he's talking about Abraham. And Jesus says this, before Abraham was, I am. Now that sounds a little weird. Before Abraham was, before Abraham ever existed, Jesus says, I am. What's he saying there? Well, do you remember when God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush? Moses said, well, I need to know what your name is. And God said, here's my name. My name is I am. And so when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he's claiming to be the God of the Old Testament. I am that I am. What about in John 14, 9, where Jesus said, it, said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what about in John 10, 10, where Jesus said, I and the Father, we are one. We are one. And what about Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8 and also verse 11 where Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And verse 11 he repeats himself saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And so we see Jesus' ways. He certainly acted like God. We see his words. He claimed to be God. But thirdly, what about his witnesses? What did the people that were hanging out with Jesus, whom God used to write the scriptures, what did they have to say about Jesus? Who did they think he was? Well, we already had the choir sing, and, and Andrew, I had no idea you had radio voice like that. That was amazing. Uh, reading from John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten uh, Father, Father, from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John, who was one of the apostles, he said, the word became flesh, God in the flesh. That's who Jesus was. What about Thomas in John chapter 20 and verse 28? You might remember after Easter, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the disciples that Easter night. And of course, Judas wasn't there. He had already committed suicide. So the, the ten were there. Thomas wasn't there. But the ten go and they tell Thomas, hey, it's amazing. Jesus appeared. He's alive. And Thomas said, no, nah, I don't believe it. I won't believe it till I see it with my own eyes, till I put my hand in his wounds. That's the only way I'll believe. Well, a week later, Jesus appears to the disciples again, and Thomas is there. And Thomas doesn't reach forth his hand. Jesus says, go ahead, put your hand on my side. Thomas doesn't. He gets on his hands and face. He says, my Lord and my God. Thomas thought Jesus was God. What about Paul? I already read to you in Philippians chapter 2 about how God humbled himself to become obedient to the death of the cross. But it says he, he didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God. He knew Jesus is God. And Paul knew Jesus is God. What about the writer of Hebrews? In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, what does he have to say about Jesus? But under the sun, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. And not only these witnesses, John and Thomas and Paul and the writer of Hebrews, but there are multiple references throughout our New Testaments to Jesus as Lord, L-O-R-D, Lord. The word Lord is the Greek word kurios, kurios. And kurios is the same word used in the Septuagint for Yahweh, I am that I am. So everywhere we see in the Bible where it says Jesus is Lord, what it says is Jesus is God. He is I am. And so was Jesus really God? We look at his ways. He acted like God. We look at his words. He claimed to be God. 
We looked at his witnesses, those who walked with him, knew him better than anybody else on this earth, and they said, he's God. And so how can any baby, how can any child be the mighty God of the Bible? Well, God had to limit himself to become one of us, but he did it. He did it. And can Jesus be the mighty God of the Bible? Can he be? Well, the God of the Bible was old, in the Old Testament was the creator. Jesus is creator. The God of the Old Testament thundered forth harsh words on his enemies through his prophets. Jesus did that. The God of the Old Testament was a fighter and victor. Jesus is that. Jesus is God. But was Jesus really God? Look at his ways. Look at his words. Look at his witnesses question I have for you today, is Jesus your God? Is Jesus your God? He's mighty. He's God. And no matter what you do with him, he's mighty. He's God. But what I'm asking, is he your mighty God? Because God is a personal God. And it doesn't matter that you acknowledge, say, well, Brother Gary, I believe what you said. I believe the Bible. So uh, that's true. So Jesus is mighty God. He needs to be your mighty God, your personal mighty God. Is he? He's mighty. He's God. Is he your God? He can be. He can be your mighty God, your personal mighty God, by grace through faith in him. Believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, that Jesus was buried for your sins, and the third day Jesus rose again from the dead. And when you truly believe Jesus Christ like that, that he did that for you, and you receive him in your heart, you will be saved. You will become a child of God. You will be forgiven. You will be given eternal life. All by grace through faith. You don't have to pay for it. Jesus paid it all. All we do is receive what he's done for us. So back to our text. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God. That's Jesus, the mighty God. The question that remains, is he your mighty God? He's mine by grace through faith. He can be yours the same way, by grace through faith. Believe that Jesus died for your sins, was buried for your sins, and rose again the third day. Believe, receive, and be saved. So the invitation this morning, quite simple. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've never received him as the mighty God whom he is, right here, right now, today, this Christmas season, invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior. And for those of you who are Christians already, be encouraged. This Jesus we talk about, this Jesus we sing about, this Jesus that we worship, he is worthy, he's God. And we will see him one day, face to face in all of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who is mighty God. You, the Son, and the Spirit are one in perfection. So we worship you as God, as the Trinity. We pray today for those who have not yet received Christ as Savior. Give them grace and faith to believe. And for those of us who do believe, may we be encouraged that we are worshiping Christ, who is none other 
than mighty God. In whose name we pray.